This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Mike Liker talks about holiness through illness. How can illness profoundly impact our lives? How can illness help connect us with other people? Well, let's find out. Father Mike is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Kelly Roper. And we're now talking with Father Mike Liker about holiness through illness. So we are grateful for you being here. After a career in education, Mike Liker decided to enter the seminary and commit his life to Christ and his church. During his seminary years, he began to get sick. After seminary, his illness prevented him from being ordained right away. He was ordained a priest September 14, 2019, and still Father Mike struggled, needing a liver transplant in order to live normally. This is his story and how his illness enabled him to trust in Jesus and teach him the way to holiness. Currently, Father Mike is the parochial vicar of Seven Dollars of the Blessed Virgin Mary Parish in Manhattan, and yet he drove all the way here from Manhattan to be with us today talking about holiness through illness. All right, so we'll we'll just jump in here. So tell us a little bit about um, your decision. You know, it said that that you were a teacher, you were, um, you know, teaching, and then all of a sudden you you decided to leave education, enter the seminary. So how did you receive that that call and and also accept it? Because sometimes it can be like, whoa, wait, right? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Um, Well, when I was teaching, we had a, we hired another uh, professor, and he had never been baptized. His wife was baptized um, Catholic, but that was it. And uh, he was trying to figure out where his family belonged. And through a mutual friend, we had a. Uh, he knew that I was Catholic, so um, even though I wasn't practicing at that time, I was kind of doing my own thing. And um, we just started having these conversations about um, church and kind of what it what it all was and so he ended up joining rcia and at one point he had some questions him and his family did and so they said well we don't want to ask anybody and disturb their prayer but we'll ask you when are you going Mm. to church and Mm. i was like i probably won't (laughs) and so um and he turned around he asked you know you know why i wouldn't go why i wouldn't want to go as he's learning all this. And so I ended up going and then one thing led to another and I'm back in a rhythm and the the pastor down in Pittsburgh, uh, Father Mike Baldwin, he asked me to be part of a Remember Church for Fallen Away Catholics. Um, So we kind of did a quick catechesis. Um, The words had changed and all of that instead of, and also with you, it was with your spirit and I didn't know what was going on. So so that's where that kind of began. But the funny thing about it was, when I told my friend that uh, I was leaving him and the department to join the seminary, he said, oh, I know. He goes, I already told my wife that six months ago. Mm. <laughs> so he knew it before I did. Wow. So, wow. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. So Sometimes we're the last to know, right? Sometimes, you know? yeah. Because yeah, we don't want to believe it. You know, in, in many ways, maybe, maybe you did know on some level, but you weren't ready to accept it. Right, yeah. yeah. So that really kind of pushed me to go, okay, that's, I'm making the right decision. He saw something 
as a non-Catholic to go, wow, you know, that was pretty cool. In your introduction, we realized that, that uh, you know, you, you were pretty sick. It kept you from being ordained right away, and you ended up needing a liver transplant in order to live normally. So tell us a little bit about, you know, how you first realized something wasn't right with your health and, and the surgery and the illness that followed. And that's one of the things that is happening this month, uh, even though this month is almost over, is it's the Gift of Life Month, um, the organ donation, and uh, which is such a vital part of uh, how my health was restored was through organ donation. And so, but it was, it was, was, I found out um, that I needed a liver transplant uh, a few, about a month before ordination, um, when I was at the Mayo Clinic, and I met with this doctor who was absolutely fantastic. Um, and it's kind of funny, his uh, introduction to himself is, you know, I'm Dr. Potteruka, and he's joking about this, uh, because he always kind of rolls his eyes to his nurses, and he says, you know, you've probably heard of me before, you know, I'm a pretty big deal around here. And, uh, <laughs> but he kind of just says that jokingly, but yeah. he really is. Every, every doctor that I've seen up there has said he is the absolute best that we have. Yeah. And um, just with bedside manner, and I learned a lot about him. His brother was a priest, um, and so he, he, got, he got what I was going through yeah. from a different level. Yeah. And so that helped yeah. so much. Um, know that to know that he was praying for me on a on a special level yeah and um, so but yeah so I found out in in August and I wasn't really sick enough to be on the transplant list and he said you know if um, you can find an organ donor you know that will change your life drastically Mm -hmm. and I had no idea what he meant because uh, the disease I had, um, I'll just give you the initials. Uh, P- um, uh, gosh, now I forgot it. Um, uh, P- PSC, primary sclerosing cholangitis. And, um, and it was so slow progressing. You know, when it would really kick up, I would, I would feel the weakness and I'd get really jaundice. Um, my eyes would be like the color of your yellow tablet there. Mm-hmm. Um, my skin would be really much that way. And those that were at ordination really saw that. Yeah. They're like, wow, is he even going to make it through this or not? Yeah. And um, so once we kind of got the ball rolling, it, it took, I think the announcement came out that I needed a, I was looking for a transplant donor, um, a liver donor. And I think that was at the end of January. In mid-February, I had got a call from, from my donor and yeah. asked if I would be willing to take her liver. And I was wow. like, well, you know, I have a lot of questions. <laughs> and, uh, you know, are you married? Do you have kids? All these different things. Um, and she says, yeah. And I said, well, you know, it's putting you at risk. I don't want to jeopardize your family. And she's like, Father Mike, you just need to trust God more. <laughs> It was like a big slap in the face going, okay, she's in charge. Yeah, yeah. And she was also a, uh, a surgeon herself okay. at Colby. Um, yeah. So everything was there. So she had seen me come in to get lab work done and different things like that. So she knew my situation. Yeah. And uh, so it was just a blessing. So yeah. God bless Brenda. 
Yeah. How can somebody give up a liver? Is it just a portion, I guess? It is. It is just a portion. Yeah. Um, the liver is the only organ that we have that regenerates. Okay. So I received her right lobe. Okay. And within probably a month, month and a half, we both had normal sized livers. Wow. So she's got a left left ha- left lobe and I've got a right lobe. Okay. Um, but yeah, so that's what makes a liver liver donation special. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like kidneys too. Yeah. You, know, you have two kidneys and you can function without without one of those. Yeah. So that's an, an important part. Yeah. Um, what some of the statistics that are out there, you know, for organ donation and in the article that I wrote for the register, you know, kind of seeking that organ um, was a lot of JP2, mm-hmm. um, how we're co-creators in life yeah. and that it's a, a noble thing to to be able to donate uh, an organ or to be an organ donor um, when you're deceased. Yeah. And, um, you know, one, one person can... Uh, Donate eight organs. Wow! Uh, eight solid organs. Um, so you figure the the heart, the two kidneys, the liver, the lungs, those types of things. Yeah. And it's a it's an amazing gift. Yeah. That uh, people receive and and something with the liver and kidney that I never thought about was um, by donating a, a being a living donor. Um, you're not just helping the person that's alive, but you're shortening the list of those that are waiting for yeah. a, an organ. Yeah. And there's over 100,000 people wow. on the national organ Don't waiting know. list right waiting now. Waiting list. Waiting list wow. right now. So there's so much. Wow. And then there's 75, like if you think of um, tissue donation, um, by giving blood, you're, you're donating. Um, corneas, all those different things, you can help up to an additional 75 people. Yeah. So yeah. it's an amazing gift. It truly that, is. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what a gift. You know, I, I have heard from, from some guests that, you know, actually signing like on your, your uh, driver's license that you're a, you're a donor might actually hasten death in, in some cases where, where they see that and, and they don't actually wait for that natural death. Right. There, um, I think the reputable places, yeah. you know, I went to the Mayo Clinic, um, and they are very good with that. You know, yeah. they usually have some spiritual work. Yes. You know, it might not be a Catholic um, minister or something, but uh, yeah. but working through that spiritual side, yeah. you know, make sure that you have family and, and uh, you know, a priest mm. with you yeah. that yeah. they know. That they can make that decision. Right. Put it in your will, you know. Absolutely. And, and Put it in your will. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Say, you know, I want these people to help make this decision. After we've, you know, you've, you have to include family and friends in those types of decisions. Yes. And so it's so important to, to be able to do that. But, yeah. But most of them will say, you know, once once the brain is, is has shut yeah. off, then yeah. that's when they go. But there, because there is a, a timeline. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I had to live within 10 hours if I was on the national list. Yeah. So I was never on the list yeah. except for the day of the transplant itself. Yeah. So, because you have to be on the list before they, before they do they, that. They do the surgery. And, and you had somebody that said, I'm, I'm not even going on the list. I just want to give it to you. Right. Just to you. Absolutely. Yeah. It's beautiful. So, that it really, is. you know, and, and to, to, you know, say for, for those who do donate, 
um, to to say I want you know I want my misfortune right now you know in most cases it's because somebody has died that the, the donations it wasn't in your case because right. the liver the liver regenerates but for many you know it is you know somebody who has given their life and and then yeah. they can go on helping others even after death and there's a there's a great connection that happens with with donation whether it's from the deceased family you know that they know that mm. they've given a heart to Yes. a young person and and all of these different things yeah um, it's beautiful yeah. and the Mayo Clinic they do something special as well I'm kind of giving a plug for them yeah, <laughs> um, that's okay uh, that's, they do good work they, they yeah. do very good yeah. work yeah. In, in July at the end of July they have a, a transplant picnic mm. and so donors and um, tra- uh, recipients they everybody just gets together you know sometimes I went up there last year and I was on my own uh, my donor couldn't go they had another vacation planned at that time. So I'm hoping she can go. So if she's yeah. listening, yeah. <laughs> hopefully you can, you and your family can go this year. Yeah, so um, good. And it's just, uh, you, you meet the doctors on a personal level, even a more personal level. And yeah. it's just a really fun, fun day just to see all these other people that have this gift of life. Yeah. So, oh, so beautiful. So, so you must have a special connection with Brenda right now, yes. right? Because part yes. of her is in your body. Right. You know, we kind of joked, you know, yeah. if, you know. If she becomes a canonized saint, does that make me a relic? There you, you know, go. Am I a first-class relic? I <laughs> you know, love and, it. Love and that it. type of a thing. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's a, a special bond. Yeah. So even with, with her family as yeah. well, you know, yeah. just her husband and her kids. Her, younger, uh, uh, her little girl made her first communion on Easter. So yeah. that was really cool to see the pictures and stuff. Aww. So. So good. And she lives here local? Um, in uh, Around Beardsley. Okay. So, All right. Yeah. Excellent. So, you know, you mentioned, you know, in seminary that, that um, you know, the, the sickness actually prevented you from being ordained right away. So how did that, that sickness, um, the illness that you were having, affect your ability to concentrate on seminary studies and then eventually, you know, not to, you know, to have to postpone ordination? And how did you grow in holiness through that? Yeah, um, there was a a stint that I remember of about a week and a half. It kind of started with a, like a little bit of a cold, but it just, it just kind of transpired into something a little bit more. And I was in the hospital for a little while um, up there. And um, so it kind of got me out of the studies. I was able to keep up somehow, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but uh, that was with with God's work. But you know, it's kind of like I told my students, you know, the grades aren't the important thing. It's what you learn. Mm. And so I wasn't worried about the grades. The The professors weren't worried about, you know, they were worried about my health more than they were about, you know, what I'm what I'm retaining and, and different things that way. You know where to find things. Yeah. And so that took a lot of pressure off of me study-wise. Yeah. But, um, you know, just knowing that the other seminarians that would come and visit, um, that they were praying for me and... You know, they would let me know when I looked better and when I looked worse, mm-hmm. <laughs> which was which was always nice because it would it would kind of help me out um, to kind of gauge because I was used to it. Yeah. I was used to being sick, and so I didn't think I was sick, even though I was. Mm. And um, so, but yeah, it definitely had a concentration factor, and uh, it was you know through I think through the prayer, the daily routines of having a regimented prayer life and. And that type was was really beneficial, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah, 
Yeah, and it's kind of amazing when you hear somebody say, you know, but I know it's true, you know, that that they didn't really know they were sick because it's kind of like you were always like that. So you didn't know, you know, that. That was my normal. Yeah. And so when the doctor said, you know, you have no idea what how your life will change yeah and uh and i did and i still don't yeah i, I mean it's it like it gets better yeah and, and it's little increments now but at the beginning it was huge increments yeah. and i was like you know i didn't know what to be thankful for yeah and it was like wow this is amazing you know, yeah god is so good yeah <laughs> god is so good wow and how long ago was that um i'm coming up on three years wow. so may 22nd will be my third anniversary Wow. We call it a liver-versary. Liver-versary. <laughs> liver-versary. liver-versary. So. That's, that's really awesome. Um, an amazing story. Just just absolutely amazing story. Um, so tell us uh, about the process of your thoughts and your feelings of, of not being able to be ordained after graduating from, from seminary. Wow. Um, and how long was that process from the time you graduated until you were able to be ordained? Um, so graduation was in May. Yeah. And um, so there was about a three-week difference between the initial ordination date and when we kind of decided that that was, let's push this off a little bit. Yeah. And uh, so I was... Sorry, Bishop Vinky, but I was—he was not my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he was not—he was not my best friend, and yeah. uh, and I was getting a lot of questions from from people. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I kind of so did. You have other classmates that were being ordained in the diocese. I did. Yeah. Uh, oh well, not from the diocese, okay. from our diocese. Okay. Um, but classmates around the the country. Yeah, that's hard. It was, yeah. and uh, one of my priest friends up in Wisconsin said, you know. Do not go. <laughs> mm. Don't go to them, even though you want to. Yeah. And uh, so, um, but I asked the bishop if I could just spend my time in, in Wisconsin. I mean, yeah. that's where my spiritual director was. Yeah. Um, I knew most of the people there. Yeah. And so it was a, a, a place of comfort for me. I felt, yeah. I felt safe and I wasn't going to be bombarded by questions. Um, and then I also did that, um, a healing retreat in mm. um, Florida. So I spent the month of June in Florida and the rest of the time in Milwaukee. Yeah. The healing retreat was great. Um, it really um, allowed me to to kind of give up some of the control that uh, I like to have. Yeah. Um, and as being a, a German, <laughs> it's, uh, it's always there. Um, but it, it taught me how to give up some of that control, yeah. which helped me in the transplant process yeah. actually to say you know once Brenda told me you just need to trust God more yeah. and there was just like this wonderful piece that came about and said you know if, if this is supposed to happen it's going to happen you know if she's going to be my donor um, if there's something that's going to go wrong he'll stop it you know yeah. he'll make the match not quite right and they'll pick yeah. that out yeah um, so that's where really a lot of the I think the confidence that God has control of this yeah. really brought that peace to me yeah so mm-hmm. beautiful wow i you know i can't even imagine you know that the things that that were difficult so how long was it though before you actually were able to be ordained um so june to september so okay uh, july august three months yeah. about it's and the nice thing months. was i yeah it was a very long <laughs> three months yeah um the nice thing was um you know the bishop allowed me to choose the day so we kind of, I got to set the date, 
which was uh, exaltation of the well, it, yeah, exaltation of the cross wow. was that date. So it was a, a perfect yeah. ordination date for me. Not yeah. just dealing with the or bearing with the um, being delayed, yeah. but with the the transplant and just the health part of it. It's like yeah. things will things are awesome. So that's yeah. a special special day for me. And then to have um, my mass of Thanksgiving on the Feast of Seven Dollars. Yeah. You know, so that was special. It was special for my mom yeah. uh, because her name is Dolores. Okay. And, uh, and then going to Seven Dollars yeah. has been really kind of a neat full circle type thing. Uh, so it's just beautiful. We need to take a short break right now, but don't change that dial. Holiness Through Illness with Father Mike Liker will be right back. Back on Double Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. Holiness through illness. Father Mike Liker. Kelly Roper conducts the interview. All right, so again, we are talking with Father Mike Liker um, about holiness through illness. He's a, a liver transplant uh, re- recipient and, um, you know, here to, to, to share with us about uh, the, the process of that and, and how he grew spiritually through that and is now helping all of us to grow spiritually as well through his time on the radio as well as through um, his priesthood. So tell us about, you know, the the donation day right or even the process of when you know you you finally are hearing somebody's gonna gonna give me a liver you're being told that that your life is going to change you have no idea because you've been like this for forever right and and so you're just not sure but but here it comes right so so tell us about that that time all right so um so i went up to the clinic um you know, the week of, early in the week, because I had to go through more testing yeah. and, and everything that way. And she came in, I think it was on a Wednesday, because she had to do a little bit more testing, too. She uh, being the liver the, the donor. The liver donor, so mm-hmm. Brenda. Yeah. And so, that, you know, they really make sure that everything is, is good to go. And um, I remember we had dinner the night before. Um, because neither of us could have anybody with us yeah. um, because this was during COVID. Mm-hmm. And so I believe we were the first transplant, living donor transplant mm-hmm. that they had. Wow. So they were doing, obviously, deceased donor transplants. But yeah. um, um, we were the first, one of the first, at least, living donor yeah. transplants. Yeah. Um, so we had dinner before, and um, then the next morning it was super early i think i had to be there by 5 30 yeah. in the morning um got checked in and they took me to a room and had to put the gown on and i did not like the gown until a little bit later um but uh because it had a little tube that they connected and it put airflow and you could control the coolness and the heat mm. which was really kind of neat yeah so um so in our rooms we were just almost across the hall from each other. Mm. And so they were telling us all the instructions and, and different things, and then they would bring out the, the bed. But they let us you know, pray together. Um, so mm-hmm. we said a prayer together. Um, 
just ask for God's blessing, his uh, protection, and the, the knowledge and wisdom of the surgeons, that they have steady hands and um, that everything goes well. And then they wheeled her off. Um, I have no idea where. And uh, then they wheeled me off to another uh, kind of prep room. Mm. And they kind of started some of the IVs and different things. And then they took me to the actual operating room. And I was kind of joking around with them a little bit. And they were getting everything set. And um, I, my plan was to ask if we could pray before they put me under. But they were asking me all these questions and, and all this stuff. And um, here they put the, the mask on me. And I could still talk because they hadn't injected me with the anesthesia yet. And I got out. <laughs> and that was it. And, and, that was, and you were gone. I was, I was yeah. gone. <laughs> Asleep, yeah. Um, so I'm surprised I remember that, actually. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, they kind of did their they did their thing, yeah. the, the surgeons and... Um, so my doctor that I initially met with, he's not part of that team. Yeah. Um, he was the, kind of the coordinator. I guess I would kind of describe him as my primary care giver up there. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so there was just, uh, I know she was prepared on a back room. Um, they called it the back table. And I've kind of read through the notes. So mm -hmm. I get to see everything that, that happened. So. Mm -hmm you know, what they were doing and the incisions and how they did all these things. Um, so it was, it's pretty interesting to yeah. be able to look through those. Um, I remember waking up in ICU, um, having a, a bunch of tubes hanging out of my carotid artery and um, being hooked up, being intubated still. Yeah. And then uh, kind of in and out going back to sleep and, um, when they pulled the intubation thing out and I could talk, um, I believe my first question was, how is Brenda? Mm, I was mm. so worried about her. Yeah. And they said, she is doing great and she's in recovery. And, and then my second question was, can I have my phone? Because mm. <laughs> I wanted to get a picture of all of that for mm. some odd reason. And they gave me my phone. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, and I, I don't remember this, but my family had told me that I had sent a picture of right when I got out. Taking selfies right after your well, surgery. Well, the, the, yeah. the nurses took them. Oh, okay. so I don't think I had the energy to uh, hold that up. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and I sent that to them, and I think it kind of scared them a little bit, mm -hmm. going, oh, my gosh, he looks terrible. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, and then the next day, um, so the day after surgery, I think it was in the evening, they moved me to a regular room. And uh, so they were wheeling me in a wheelchair and we get out of the elevator and they said, you need to walk, you need to walk to your room. Mm -hmm. And I have no idea how far this is. And I said, let's go a little bit further. <laughs> and they said, this is as far as we're going, you're walking the rest of the way. Yeah. And uh, so I had to do that. And so yeah. it was quite the process. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And, uh, I know I did video updates on Facebook Live. Um, I haven't watched them yet. I haven't had the, the courage to. Yeah. Um, that will come at a, at a time because I know I was emo very emotional on, on several of them. Yeah. Um, but I do remember keeping up with, like, because I know the Ascension came up. There was that feast day that I mentioned and just other just 
things that were going on. And um, so someday I'll watch all those. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That that would be hard. That would be yeah. very hard to just to see myself to see. in that that yeah. very weakened state because yeah. I was I was down pretty low in weight. Sure. You know, but the coloring came back. I, yeah. The people in Colby, they're like, you're not coughing anymore. That was some of the first comments that I yeah. that I had. So. so it caused you to cough. Yeah, it was the, the jaundice, the itchiness, because yeah. I, I itched a lot, and my throat was scratchy because yeah. of that. So Wow. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. All right, well, we have only about 16 more minutes. All right, so we are again talking with Father Mike Liker, um, Holiness Through Illness. Mother Angelica was known to say, next to my vocation, the greatest gift I have is the pain I carry every day because it forces me to cling to Jesus. Wow. So so how is that a, a statement? Is it a statement that's true for you? And how did your illness affect your spiritual life? Yeah, I think uh, it definitely resonates yeah. with me. Yeah. There's, a, there's a piece that, you know, for a while it was, you know, why is God so good to me? That was mm. my question. Mm. And it was, you know, that's what he does. Yeah. You know, that was the answer I finally kind of came up with was yeah. this is what he is. This is who he is. And this is what he gives is that love. And for Jesus to do what he did and to, you know, go through the passion and, and cross and endure all of that, yeah. um, that's really helped me to really bring that 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 tightness together yeah that um association saying you know this is this is what it was for me and you know jesus endured way much more than i could have ever imagined yeah and um so that's i think that's the connection and it's you know when i kind of feel sorry for myself every once in a while going you know you know i've got to deal with with this or you know i have to get blood work done every so often to make sure the meds are working and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, it kind of, sometimes it, it can be a pain, but it's like, I can endure this because, you know, God gave me this second chance yeah. at life. Yeah. And um, so it's, it's a beautiful um, way to connect saying I can offer this blood stick for, <laughs> for that. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but there are those times when it's like galley, you know. Right. I, I'm sure you you would have to. I, I know that 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 uh, you were very holy. We're talking about holiness through well, through illness, but I know I just have to to believe that going through something like this, some kind of major illness, there have to be those moments too when you're going, you know, I I just don't know, Lord, what in, what in the world? Yeah, yeah. You know, especially when you know, kind of getting closer to the transplant day, you know. God, what is this going to feel like? What yeah. is, what is uh, the recovery going to be like? Just so many questions. Yeah. You know, you know, what are the going to be the side effects of the medications? Or, you know, so many questions out there. Yeah. And it's it's been interesting um, that I've, you know, a lot of people will ask, you know, how did you get through a lot of that? How did you how did you build that trust? so much with God yeah. to say, you know, just to be able to hand it all over and say, you know, whatever your will is. Yeah. And, you know, it is it is that trust and, and you build it by giving up that control, just being, being humble enough to say, I can't do anything about this. Yeah. You know, 
God is placing the doctors that he put in my care, in charge of my care. Yeah. Uh, he put the surgeons and the anesthesiologists and the nurses in my care that he thought were going to be the best for me. Yeah. And, um, and they were. You know, yeah. It was really the, the nurse that I, I meet with every time I'm up there. You know, we still communicate back and forth. Mm -hmm. And I just say, you know, you guys are so awesome. Thank mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. And they appreciate that. Yeah. And it's that appreciation, I think, that carries on that uh, kind of keeps that connection of thankfulness to God yeah. for, for that gift and that time that he's put me in communication with them. Um, so it's like we have to be humble to say, I can't control this anymore yeah. as much as I would like to. Um, I can only control the things that I can, and that's doing what the doctors tell us to do. Mm -hmm. um, I can make sure I take my meds on time and, and do all these different things. And you know, one, is, one of them was you know, not that I was a big drinker or anything like that, but that's one of the associations with, with liver disease. Yeah. And you know, they, so I had to go through the whole psych thing and you know, make sure that I wasn't um, abusing alcohol. Yeah. And and so it was like, no, you can't you can't drink anymore. And I was like, I'm fine with that. That's no problem. And the question came up, you know, well, what about sacramental wine? You know, mm. that for consecration. And they said, you know, that probably wouldn't hurt, but you know, if you could use mustum, that would be better. Um, what which is mustum? mustum is um, a very, very low alcoholic. So right when the, the wine, bef right before it turns into wine, um, they stop that process. So there's just a little bit of alcohol to make it, mm -hmm. make it legal. So recovering alcoholics that are priests, they use that as well. So mm, it's a way that, you know, we know in our hearts that it's not wine anymore, it's the precious blood. Sure. Um, but also a way to say, you know, you know, I'm not drinking any alcohol anymore because I respect what, what God's given me. I respect the donor and respect the, the doctors. And for me, it's, you know, I respect the whole you know, it's respect for the whole diocese yeah. saying, you help pay for our insurance as priests, and this is my thank you for doing that, is yeah. that I don't have to have a drink or anything that way. So Yeah, yeah. So I have to make sure that I take care of myself and yeah. thanksgiving to everybody else here. Yeah, so. yeah. Oh, beautiful. And, and so it's been three years now since the transplant. Almost. How long of priesthood? How long have you been a priest? Um, I'll be, I'm in my third year, so September 14th will be four years. Okay. So. Yeah, so, so you were actually an ordained priest, and then the surgery came. And then came. the surgery came, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Talking with Father Mike Liker, tell us, how, you know, they, they said it's going to change your life. Did it change your life? And, and tell us about that. Oh, it changed my life in so many ways. Yeah. Um, first, just the, the appearance, my appearance. Mm. Um, a lot of people asked if I was from another country because mm. <laughs> I was that, I was that, that, that uh, jaundiced. Yeah. And uh, if anybody was at the ordination, they would remember that uh, so well. Um, so obviously my appearance, my weight is, is up, um, energy level is up, um, everything is going so well. All right, so anything that we haven't talked about that you want to share with our listeners? We just have a few minutes. 
Um, outside of the, you know, the donations that you're you're bringing in here to um, Divine Mercy Radio, I know they appreciate it, and yeah. all of Western Kansas appreciates the the programming that's that you all supply. Yeah. Um, I can speak for a lot of people that I know, and um, you know that donation, you know, continues on through not just monetary things, but uh, the alms giving, and definitely the organ thing. I'm, I'm really pleased that this gave me a a platform to promote yes. organ donation. So yes. if you haven't signed your driver's license for that, definitely can you know consider yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and also consider being a living donor. Yeah. Um, it's it uh, brings some special friendships um, yes. with people you may know um, or or don't know. Yeah. Um, that it's just a life changing thing for them. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh. I just think what what a gift that Brenda gave to you and oh. and you know now you really priceless yeah exactly priceless. how could you put a, a dollar yeah. amount on that no you, you, you just, can't yeah there's you, you just can't yeah yeah does that ever get hard you know it sounds like you guys have a good really good relationship does it ever get hard to to realize you know she gave me my life um it, in the beginning it was yeah um I think it's it's you, you kind of learn to accept it. Yeah. And, and appreciate it and thank God for it. Yeah. And uh, and she said, you know, in uh, in one of the interviews that we did was, you know, she felt called to do that. Yeah. Uh, it was a calling. Yeah. And I've heard so many other donors say it was a calling. Yeah. That it wasn't just a, a choice that they made, but they felt called from a higher power. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see that. I mean, it's not like you just every day say, I want yeah, to give out part of my liver, yeah, right? Yeah, you, know? you just don't wake up and say, yeah. oh, yeah, I'm going to do this. It's, yeah. a, it's a prayerful process. Yeah. And, and she prayed over it for, for two weeks. Yeah. So. Yeah. What a... What a beautiful gift! Oh my gosh, yeah. what a what a beautiful gift! And and uh, you know, um, very impressive. You know, Father Mike Liker, I I am I am blown away. What a what a great story of holiness through illness and and really growing closer to God through the process and being able to now. I, I'm sure it just changes your ministry as well. You oh, know, to absolutely. be able to relate to the suffering going on. Yes. A lot of homily material comes out of this. Exactly. So. You know, and, and compassion when people, when you have to go and minister, you know, to people that are in similar circumstances. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. just, it has to just change so many things. So, you know, God is good. You know, yeah. we go through some, some terrible things sometimes. I've never been through anything that terrible, <laughs> but, uh, you know, he brings, brings good. And it's, and it's a great form of evangelization as well. I know my my nurses and doctors up at Mayo, um, I had I was carried a crucifix in my pocket and I just had that setting on my little table and, yeah. and they would see that and they'd ask questions and uh-huh. you know and it's really neat because they, they call me father up there. Yeah. Um, one of the surprises actually was and I may have I don't want to say hallucinate but I may have imagined it but I'm, I was pretty sure um, in the ICU room, there was a crucifix. Wow! Um, and this was in the in one of their campus, the non the Methodist hospital is what I was in. That's connected to their campus. They also have the Mayo story is an amazing one. If you don't know about it, Franciscans actually started it. Franciscan nuns. I did not know that they did. Yeah. And uh, so I would get some questions about that. Um, you know, just uh, how that works. So it was a wonderful, wonderful thing. Yeah. And then. Um, 
in my room, there was the classic piece, uh, picture of Jesus up in there. Mm-hmm. So, um, so they definitely had, had faith yeah. involved. There's a, a wonderful movie that they have called um, Faith, Hope, and – no, yeah, Faith, Hope, and Science mm-hmm. um, of, that the Mayo Clinic put out. And it's, they follow three patients around and how – how it's all inspired and, and stuff. Really? So, I so, had no idea. Yeah. I, I did not yeah. know that. A tornado went through Rochester, Minnesota. Yeah. And the, the Mayo dad, he asked the nurses if they would house some of the people um, because they of their patients. Yeah. And so they taught them to be nurses. And the, the mother superior there told the Mayo, we need a hospital in this town. Yeah. And she said, we'll, we'll provide the work. And they, they fasted and prayed and they grew their own vegetables and sold them and all these kind of things. And it, it, uh, they ended up at the state-of-the-art facility. Mm. So. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Really so, yeah. amazing. Yeah, the I Mayo had... story is, is pretty cool. And it's, it's really neat that it's connected, connected to Catholicism. Yeah. That's so. really cool. I, had, I really had no idea. That's, that's yeah. pretty amazing. So. Yeah, pretty amazing. Thanks for tuning in to Double-Edged Sword cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. Folks, heaven is unseen, but so are these airwaves. If you can help support these unseen airwaves and help save souls for heaven, go to dvmercy.com and click on Donate, where your donation will be seen and appreciated. You're listening to the network of stations of Divine Mercy Radio. If today you hear His voice, Pardon not your heart.